As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of the Creep Street Podcast is brought to you by Martini Coffee Roasters. You know, people always look at me weird when I say I start off every morning with a big old martini. But then I set them straight and I tell them I'm talking about Martini Coffee Roasters Coffee. A delicious coffee made by the Martini family. They roast their coffee using a traditional method of sight and sound to roast those little babies to perfection. And they also sell green coffee beans for those home roasters out there. And right now, fans of the Creep Street podcast can get 20% off their entire order by using the code CREEPSTREET at martinicoffee.com. Once again, for 20% off your order, use the code CREEPSTREET at martinicoffee.com. Martini Coffee Roasters, the perfect coffee to keep you creeps caffeinated. You've taken a wrong turn. Down Creep Street. Citizens of the Milky Way, my name is Dylan Hackworth. I'm Maureen Bogey. And you have landed. You have touched down on the surface of Creep Street. That's right. That's Welcome. correct. Welcome, citizens. Of course, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Creep Street Podcast, Twitter at Creep Street Pod. We also have a TikTok. On our Facebook, we have a little forum where daily we like to interact with our listeners. It's called Citizens of the Milky Way, a Creep Street fan page. Anyone's welcome to join that. You just click the Let Me In button and one of us will let you in. That's right. And of course, we we say it all the time. If once a week is not enough, and let's face it, folks, It's not. There's just no use lying to yourself about it. It just makes it worse. It makes the itching spread. That's right. We all see you're under that spell. Uh, So why don't you head on over to patreon.com slash creepstreetpodcast. In fact, we have a special one-time shout-out to a new patron. Thank you so much to our newest Patreon member. Let's everyone give a warm welcome to the Monster Wrangler, Rachel Stoddy. Yes, you are so welcome. Thank you for joining us and being a member of the Creep Street Homeowners Association. Yes, thank you, Rachel. Enjoy all of those goodies. Now, Maureen. Yeah. Last week, we gave them Encounter in Kelly Hopkinsville. That's right. We sure did. We hit them with a little bit of that UFO, that interdimensional being, that cryptid, that alien, whatever you want to call it. Yes, yes. And the week before, we hit him with the Jameson family mystery. Yes. A story about a tragic yet unexplained death. 
yeah. of a family. Mm-hmm. Now, we're kind of going back down that territory today. We are. It just did so well. The Jameson family mystery did so well. It seems like people are kind of Jones and for that kind of story. So we wanted to hit, hit you back with another similar situation. Absolutely. And in fact, today's episode is going to be two stories. That's right. Two stories sidled up together. Mm-hmm. Maureen, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about two tales of mysterious deaths. Good golly, Maureen. Why don't you base this turkey with our sources? I would love to. Thank you for asking. Now, we have a few different sources today that have all been fantastic, very informative and helpful research sources. Yes. One is a video from, well, one is two videos from Bedtime Stories on YouTube. One is called The Strange Death of Gaurav Tuwari. And another one is called The Bizarre Deaths at Gorda Springs, both from Bedtime Stories on YouTube, a great channel we highly recommend you check out. Absolutely. Then we have an article from Mysterious Universe called The Mysterious Death of a Paranormal Investigator by Brent Swanser. Then we have Delhi, Ghostbuster Gorev Tawari found dead under mysterious circumstances by Shams Tahir Khan at indiatoday.com. And then we have two women found dead at resort by Gene Merle and David Pearson at the L.A. Times. Ooh, sounds like we are in for a weird one, Maureen. We sure are. These two stories are very, very weird. And at first glance, they seem like they may be explainable. However, the more you think about it, the more questions kind of arise and you think to yourself, what could really be going on here? Absolutely. These ones are truly whack-a-daisical. Whack attack. Yeah, real weird. This is a whack attack, everybody. Absolutely. But before we get started, I just wanted to say, give a quick shout out to the people that came to our panel at C2E2 last week. Yes, yes. We um, had a great turnout. We did. Of course, the Archduke of Attitude, Adam Archer, and the madman Marcus Hall were there, but also a big shout out to Sam Ciro. Yes. Who, uh, this was her second time showing up at our at our panel there. It was, yeah, and it was so nice to see you there, and um, what an absolute blast. It was great to just kind of meet everybody and just talk about some spooky stories uh, while at C2E2 having fun. Absolutely. Loved, loved doing it. And we will hopefully do it again. I think it's March 31st through April 2nd of 2023 is the next C2E2. And hopefully maybe we will see you there. Yes, please do. Please join us again. And it was an absolute blast. Absolutely. We gave out some stickers to people. And just a heads up on that, we mentioned this on our Instagram page, but we're going to start selling some stickers and some merch that is coming up quick. We'll keep you guys updated on that and how you can buy that merch and things like that. Yes. And we got to send it out to our patrons. Yes. If you are a Patreon member, you are going to get some free stickers and buttons. Um, You'll get those for free. Um, So that's just another reason to join the Patreon. Absolutely. Very much looking forward to all of that. Yes. Now, let's dive into these stories. Let's first talk about this bizarre case that happened in October of 2003. 
Jacqueline Tovez and Abigail Tapia, 26 and 27 respectively, had checked into a hotel in Big Sur, California. They checked in on a Monday and they were staying there for a week. Now, when they checked in, they asked if they could leave the room next to theirs vacant. However, they were told that this could not happen due to pre-existing reservations that were already, you know, existing. Right. So they got a little upset about that, but they said, you know what, that's fine. Just please no one come over to us while we are here on our stay. Not even room service, not even maid service, nothing like that. We just don't want anyone in the room. An odd request. A kind of weird request, especially having no one be in the room even next to them. Which means your first thought is like, are they going to be causing a lot of noise, a lot of ruckus? Right. I don't really know. Yeah. It's really unclear exactly what their thoughts were about this, but that is what they asked. Now, the first night, I believe it was the first night, but it at least was one of the nights they were there, possibly the first night. The next door neighbor at the hotel complained because there was a loud pounding noise coming through the adjoining wall. Apparently this man knocked on the door for about 15 minutes until one of the two women came to the front door, completely disoriented, didn't say anything, and closed the door. Okay, wow. Yes. Now, the week passed, and some people would see them walking around the resort here and there, going to the restaurant to pick up some food and to carry it back to their room where they ate in their room. But that was pretty much the only time anyone saw them during their stay. A week goes by, and it's time for them to check out. However, they never checked out. Now, this kind of thing happens fairly often. People just forget to check out or they are running a little late. They oversleep, things like that. So the hotel personnel weren't too worried about this. Right. So an employee at the hotel named Leonardo Flores went over to their room to ask them to leave, knocked on the door, and there was no response. He knocked a few more times, still no response. So he finally used the master key to open up the door and what he saw shocked him to his core. He found the two women dead back to back on the bed. He ran out and called the police and the police arrived. This was October 7th, 2003. The two women had garbage bags tied over their heads and as well as their hands and feet were tied behind their backs. There were no signs of injuries or trauma, and there was no weapon in the room, and there was no suicide note. But that's not all that was interesting and strange about this scene. Okay. On Jacqueline Tovez's head, over the garbage bag that was on top of her face, was a grinning mask. A grinning Japanese-style kabuki mask decorated in black, green, and red. And on one of the bedside tables was an eye mask covered in feathers, like a masquerade ball kind of mask. Wow, like the kind that has the stick that you can lift up and put down, okay. Mm -hmm, That kind of mask situation. So this is weird. I mean, it's not too far away from Halloween, but there were no other like Halloween related paraphernalia in the room. That's weird, okay, yeah, yeah. So it was just two masks. Yes, and the mask was actually, one of the masks was actually on the head of one of the people, one of the two women that had passed away, Jacqueline Tovez. Now, in one of my sources, it's implied that these two women were a couple. And in in the LA Times source, they don't really make any mention of them being a couple. So I don't really know. This was in 2003. 
So it's not like it was unheard of for there to be a homosexual relationship or anything like that. Right. But it wasn't super out in the open like it is today at the same time. So I don't know if maybe it, they were a couple and in the LA Times they just didn't mention it for that reason. Right. Or if maybe they were a couple or maybe they just were friends. I don't know. They did live together as well, oh, not okay. just going on vacation together. So I'm kind of inclined to believe that they were a couple, but I'm not completely sure. Right, right. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. After an autopsy, it was confirmed that both of them had died from asphyxiation. There was alcohol and drugs in their system, but but nothing to a degree that would cause an overdose or something like that. Right. And the drugs in their system, I believe it was probably, I'm not sure, but it seems like it was probably just weed or something like that. Right, like nothing heavy, yeah. Nothing heavy duty. Interesting, okay, very interesting. But when investigators went to their home in Long Beach, they found a mask similar to the one that Jacqueline Tovez was wearing on the front door of their home except this one had an upside down mouth on it looking like it was frowning in a pained way that's right because the one she was wearing was the smile yes and this mask was just stapled or tied or glued or something to their front door wow to the outside of their front door to the outside of their front door it's very weird the building manager said that they had always been good tenants always paid their rent on time, things like that. Nothing really too weird to report to them. But something was weird is that none of their their friends or family knew about this trip to Big Sur. Huh. They didn't know that they were going on this this trip, which by itself doesn't really mean anything, but it's just kind of weird. You would think that if you're going on a trip, someone would would know about it. Exactly, right, right. At least like work or whatever they did for a living. Right, but no one seemed to know about it. Right, wow, okay. Now the ropes that were tied around Jacqueline Toves's wrists and ankles were very tight, but the one around Abigail Tapia's wrists and ankles were a little bit looser. So what it was kind of thought happened was that Tapia tied the, the ropes behind Tovez's back, then tied her own ankles and wrists behind her own back herself. And that's why they were a little bit looser on her end compared to how they were on Tovez's. Right. There was also a manila envelope next to the two women with a few different letters to family and, fr- and friends of theirs. Unfortunately for us, it's not known exactly what was in the letters, but it was clear that they were in some sort of emotional turmoil. However, they were not suicide notes. Interesting. And we don't know really what was in them because the police, didn't the police like not? Yeah, it wasn't revealed or wasn't released what was in this manila envelope. That's weird. So it kind of reeks a little bit of maybe a cover up. Maybe, possibly, I don't know. Tapia was also in about $60,000 worth of debt at the time. So through all of these issues, it was said that maybe the case was closed. Oh, and also Tovez had previously tried to kill herself with an overdose of pills about two years prior to this. Right. So the case was closed as a suicide or a murder suicide, really, but basically a suicide, but just assisted suicide, essentially. You know, right, exactly. Because there was no evidence of foul play. There were no valuables taken from the room, anything like that. 
but a few things just don't really seem to add up. Like I said, it would say that Tapia probably tied the ropes around Tovez before doing it to herself. However, there were no burn marks or anything like that around the wrists and the ankles of the two women. It's humanly impossible to not reflexively fight back against asphyxiating. So you would think that there would be some burn marks from the ropes or something like that around their, on their skin, but there was nothing of the sort. That's wild. They also died perfectly still, it seemed like, back to back to one another. And it's also weird because if, say, there was a third party that murdered them, you would also expect to see signs of a struggle. Right. Exactly. And there was alcohol in their system, but not enough for them to have just completely passed out and just not been responsive at all. Right. Exactly. There is a significant amount of drug cartel activity in the area. So some people thought that maybe this was a drug-related crime, but there really is no evidence to support that. There was no drug paraphernalia or anything like that found at their home, and there was no large influx of cash. So it just doesn't really seem to make sense. Did they explain what kind of debt Tapia had? No, because $60,000, if it's like student loans, is completely normal. Yeah, that's like a, you know, I know like in 2003, 60 would have been more. Right. But like... Yeah, it doesn't. So it doesn't explain what kind of debt it was. No, I'm not sure. Yeah, you would think if it was student loans or something, you know, that's something completely different. Right. So I don't really know. And also, it's not like that's impossible to dig yourself out of. Right. So it seems kind of extreme to to kill yourself over that amount of debt. But the Big Sur area does seem to have a significant number of suicides, especially compared to other areas in the region. And it's not really known exactly why this is. But for centuries, there have been shadowy figures in the area that have been reported that are called Dark Watchers. Which will be an episode all their own. The Dark Watchers are a huge topic. Yeah, very, very interesting. They've been reported stalking groups of hikers and visitors in the area. Some people even say that they feel this overwhelming sense of helplessness and despair that overtakes them. And it's so common that it even has a name called, quote, the terror. There's also been stories of another strange entity that I don't know about the name of it, but it confronts people at the nearby Fernwood campground. It's a humanoid figure with a woven corn mask, and it materializes from the trees during the hours of darkness. Oh, interesting. Okay. So these stories of the Dark Watchers and this humanoid figure and the terror and things like that, it could be completely unrelated to this story, but I thought it was still worthwhile to mention because just this area of Big Sur is known for a lot of mysterious activity. Absolutely. And the Dark Watchers will definitely, as I said, get their own episode. Right. So you all let us know what do you think happened here? What do you think is the reasoning was this really just a murder suicide cut and dry like how the police said that it was or was there some foul play here was there was this a murder was something paranormal at play i don't know you guys email us at creepstreetpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think please now we took it we our first story was in the good old us of a good old california oh yes 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 But I think we need to take a trip across the ocean over to India. Wow. 
I think this is the first time we've covered something in India, right? I was just going to ask you that. I believe this might be the first time that we have done an Indian topic on the podcast, which is crazy because there are so many paranormal, spooky, scary stories that come out of India. I'm excited that we are finally over here in India doing a topic and we'll, we will revisit this place time and time again in Abs- the future. Absolutely. Yes. Now here is a story, a tragic story about a man named Gaurav Tuwari. He was born in 1984 to Hindu parents. From a young age, he really wanted to be an actor, and he actually did pretty well. He was cast in a number of TV shows, commercials, and even did some Bollywood films. Oh, wow. Okay. In the Bollywood films, these these were all just kind of bit parts, but he was very excited and had a lot of promise for the future. Now, unfortunately, work kind of dried up for him and he decided to pursue another one of his passions, which was flying. He wanted to be a pilot. Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool. So he moved to America to pursue this goal and he moved into an apartment in Florida with some friends. Now, while he was living in Florida, he experienced some strange activity in his apartment. Some poltergeist activity, like things were being moved around the apartment. There were disembodied voices, doors opening and closing, and there were some actual apparitions. He repeatedly saw an apparition of a young girl. Oh, wow. Okay. This is all when he came to Florida. Yes. Oh, wow. I wonder if he had had any experiences growing up when, while he was in India. I, You know, I'm not totally sure, but I don't think so because it's said that he was a skeptic he was skeptical of all these of all this stuff and he really thought that there was you know an explanation for everything and he kind of was fascinated by this activity that was happening in his house because he was seeing it for himself things were actually happening but he couldn't explain it so he kind of was fascinated with this and came in with it kind of the the thought that he would be able to explain what was going on but he wasn't able to explain everything and this sparked in him a passion for the supernatural and the paranormal. Goodness gracious, okay. Yes. So he was in America, and while he was there, he graduated from the MVP Aero Academy in Texas. But that wasn't the only thing that he got while he was in America. He also got certified as a lead anomalous investigator by the U.S. Paranexus Association. All right, okay. So he started to really become an official paranormal investigator. Wow, okay, okay. So he returned to India in 2009 and established the Indian Paranormal Society. Now, this was kind of the first society of its kind, at least of the time, in India. At its peak, it was receiving 250 emails and 500 calls a day. Wow. So it was doing really, really well. People were needing his help. So much so that he had to hire extra staff on to to deal with all of the demand. Wow, okay. And it wasn't long after that that he was invited to be on a variety of different TV shows about the paranormal. He was on Haunted Weekends with Sonny Leone, Boot Aya, and MTV He Ticket and Fear Files. Okay, interesting, okay. And Boot Aya, apparently he was the lead paranormal investigator and expert on that show. So he clearly was doing very, very well. Right, exactly. 
In 2014, he really was out there killing it. He was invited to be on a show called Haunting Australia that had experts from the US, the UK, and Australia. And while on this show, he was known to be absolutely fearless. He would volunteer to do solo stuff and be alone and to just really put himself right in the middle of it, right in the thick of it all. Wow, okay, all right. Apparently, he willingly climbed inside the morgue chiller in an abandoned mental asylum. And was Yeah, and was left in there for over an hour. Oh, yikes. And those things are tight. Those are compact. You're essentially like in a drawer. Yeah, that's horrifying. I would never, ever do that. Ever, 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 ever. Wow. Okay. And during his time on the show and just in general, he gathered a lot of evidence that really impressed his peers. Now, because of some bullshit logistics, the show was canceled and he went back to the Indian Paranormal Society, but he was very happy to do it. It was, you know, his life's work, really. He was so in love with the work. But on July 6th, 2016, he went to a property in West Delhi's Janakpuri neighborhood where he was going to help a family who had suffered at the hands of an extremely violent entity that was haunting their home. It was so intense and malevolent that the family actually had to move out of the house. He and his team went to the home and cleansed the household and left the house at about 2 a.m. Then he arrived home and got in a big fight with his wife, Aria. They'd only been married for about five months, but there was some trouble in paradise. Oh, goodness. Now, this is what year was this going on? 2016. Okay, 2016. Okay. This was July of 2016. Now, the issues that kind of they had been fighting about was kind of revolved around his actual work. Aria didn't really like that he was out late at night coming back early in the morning because of all of these paranormal investigations he was on. She wanted him to get more of a regular kind of nine to five type of job so that they could settle down, have a family, things like that. Whereas this was Gorev's passion in life and he really wanted to pursue this and keep going and keep helping people. Right, exactly. And apparently their fight was so bad that Gorev slept in a separate room that night. Oh goodness, okay, okay. The next day on July 7th, 2016, Gorev would lose his life. He woke up at around 10 a.m. and began reading emails and checking messages and him and Aria cleared things up and were no longer fighting. They had kind of buried the hatchet, as it were, and not in each other's backs. Okay. okay. Gorev went ahead and said he was going to take a shower and went upstairs to the bathroom. Then at about 11 a.m., not long after he went upstairs, Aria and Gorov's father, who was staying with them, heard a loud thud in the bathroom. They went upstairs and knocked on the door but there was no response. They knocked a couple more times and there was still no reply. Then Gorev's dad forced down the door and found Gorev lying on the floor, sweating, gasping for air, eyes bulging, apparently asphyxiating. He was rushed to the hospital where shortly thereafter, he passed away. So it looked like he was clearly could not breathe. Right. Okay. He was still alive when they came into the room, but he passed away later in the hospital. But yeah, he was, it was like he he couldn't breathe at all. Wow. Okay. The medical professionals all noted that he had a thin, dark line around his neck, 
which is something that Aria and Gorov's father didn't notice when they first came into the room and found him on the, in the bathroom. The cause of death was determined to be asphyxiation, and the press were told that he had hanged himself. There was no foul play suspected because there was no possible way another person could have been in the bathroom since Aria and Gorov's father were both home and the bathroom door was locked. So it was impossible for someone to have been in the bathroom and killed him or something like that. But what's weird was there was no noose or anything like it found in the bathroom. That's weird. And it looked as though when they found him, he was actively being strangled. Right. Eyes bulging, you know, couldn't breathe. Laying on the ground. There was nothing wrapped around his neck at that time. Wow. Right. Also, everything in his life seemed to be going well. Of course, he was fighting with his wife, but they were only married for about five months. He was making good money. No one seemed to think he was suicidal in any capacity. He was making good money? Yeah, apparently. Then what's she complaining about? I know, I know. That's another thing I wanted to talk about. It's like, if he's making good money, just whatever. If he's making good money, it's one thing if he's doing all this and like, you know, the family's struggling financially, but like, he's making good money. He's doing something he loves. Just let him do it. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, but you know, some people have prejudices towards this kind of thing, and who yeah. knows? Okay, I guess. Yeah, I, but it's weird. It's like, why get married to this person if you think that if you don't like this kind of thing that you're right. doing? It just, it's just very weird it's to me. Not like he's making the money doing something nefarious or illegal. Right. It, yeah, that's, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, come on, Aria. So what could have happened to him? His dad thinks that it was something unexplained. Gorov's dad said that Gorov had recently said to him, quote, I am feeling extremely uncomfortable for quite some time. I am being followed. I am being watched by someone who refuses to leave me. Okay, very interesting. He also said that Gorov had been seeing an apparition on multiple occasions, and it was he saw it often and also really close to him, no more than like five feet away. Gorov had also mentioned that these dark marks that he found that were eventually found around his own neck, these were said to be injuries that were inflicted by vengeful spirits. Very interesting. Okay. During his career, he visited at least 6,000 haunted locations, and especially this most recent one was said to be very violent and malevolent. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Okay, now this is very weird. I'm just so fascinated. It's like when they found him, it literally looked like he was actively being strangled. Right. But there was no one else in the room. It was impossible for someone to have, like, just left the room after they had begun strangling him or something like that. That is pretty dang wild. Yeah. And there, what's weird to me is, like like we said before, there was no noose in the room or anything like that. Right. So how? Oh, wow. So what was this? Good golly, Maureen, that that is insane. A crazy story. It makes you think like even more like this had to have been some sort of paranormal activity. Right, absolutely. I don't know. Feel free to let us know what you think, what really happened here. You can email us at creepstreetpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on any of our socials. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for all that research. Of course. These were two very, very bizarre, sad stories. You know, people that should not have passed away. But we still wanted to tell these stories because just the manner of their deaths were just so bizarre and doesn't really seem to make sense. 
Not at all. And these are still, even though that maybe in the eyes of the law, the cases are closed, but to many people, these are still unexplained stories that, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get a full explanation on what happened here. Fascinating. Maureen, thank you again. Of course. Thank you all for listening. Well, I've got a list of names that make perfect sense to me. Okay. Folks, the names of our top-tier Patreon subscribers. Of course, the Dream James Watkins, the Finnish Face Via Alunfus, the Madman Marcus Hall, the Vivacious Vicky McHugh, the Tenacious Teresa Hackworth, the Heartbreak Kid Chris Hackworth, the Oh-So-Suave Sean Richardson, the British Bonebreaker Bex Martin, the Notorious Nicholas Barker, the Terrifying Taylor Lashmet, the Count of Cool Cameron Corliss, the Archduke of Attitude Adam Archer, the Sinister Sam Kiker, the Nightmare of New Zealand Noeline Vavilli, the Loathsome Johnny Love, the Carnival Kevin Bogie, the killer's stud, Carl Staub, the fire starter, Heather Carter, the conqueror, Christopher Damien Damaris, the awfully awesome Annie, the murderous Maggie Leach, the sir of sexy Sam Hackworth, the evil Elizabeth Riley, Lauren Hellfire Hernandez Lopez, the maniacal Laura Maynard, the vicious Karen Van Vuren, the arch nemesis Aaron Bird, the sadistic Sergio Castillo, the rapscallion Ryan Crum, the beast Benjamin Huang, the devilish Chris Doucette, and the psycho Sam. Also, a big, big shout out to my cousin, the sir of sexy Sam Hackworth, him and his new wife, they just got married. Yes, congratulations. We are so, so happy for you. What a beautiful couple you make. Absolutely. Well, folks, of course, like, rate, subscribe. Tell friends, tell family, tell loved ones. Evangelize the name of Creep Street. Hit us with five stars on whatever uh, outlet you happen to listen to us on. Please. Citizens of the Milky Way, my name is Dylan Hackworth. I'm Maureen Bogie. Uh, good night and goodbye. Goodbye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.